0: The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts.
1: This podcast is sponsored by QS. For over 25 years. QS has been helping prospective MBA candidates make informed decisions about choosing the right business school. At our upcoming Dallas event, you can meet face to face with admission directors from top ranked U.S. and international business schools, including UT Austin, SMU, Rice, IE, Hult, and many more. Find out more at topmba.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch.
1: And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Kumar Srivastava, VP of Product Strategy at BNY Mellon, based out of the Silicon Valley Innovation Center. Hello,
0: Kumar. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Kathleen. Thank you for inviting me. We're excited to have you on our show today. So I'd like to get started by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in the field of AI.
2: Sure. So, yeah, as I mentioned, my name is Kumar Siwafama. I I've been in this space for actually a very long time. I started my career at Microsoft years ago, and at that point, I was working on email spam detection using machine learning. Uh, and then running that as a service in, at Hotmail scale, which is millions of users spread across the globe. And that was my first experience and foray into running ML at scale, which you know has become a very, very big deal now, given the resurgence of AI and machine learning and the need for it to be run at scale and with high quality, with service. In the middle, I've been a lot of hints at various companies, large and small, mostly around in the area of big data analysis, machine learning, AI, and till most recently, I've been at the Silicon Valley Innovation Center of Bank of New York Mellon, leading the product strategy team. And we're looking at all sorts of technologies and capabilities, including machine learning and AI. But really, the goal has been to build customer-facing value delivered through applications using multiple technologies. And it just turns out that a lot of decisions and actions that customers, users, employees have to make can be helped or enhanced or predicted using machine learning and AI. And so it becomes a really big part of what we are trying to build and or what kind of innovation we're trying to bring about in our attempts to create client value. And that's why it, it just becomes a really big part of any app that we build. There's always this predictive component that helps the user of that application make better decisions, take better actions.
1: all well, right great. So specifically within the fintech industry, we've heard that AI is being adopted in some very interesting ways. So Talk about some ways in which artificial intelligence and perhaps some of the related areas are being adopted by the fintech industry and different use cases and unique aspects of AI adoption in fintech as differentiated from some of the other industries.
2: Sure. The basic purpose of the financial services industry is to help people or entities, organizations or individuals make better decisions about their finances and hopefully increase the amount of capital that someone has through investment decisions. So the entire process starts with a goal in mind, with a strategy in mind, an institution or an individual can reach out to an advisor, so they might have to select the best advisor that makes sense for their goal in mind, Once that advisor then, or the customer together come up with some sort of a strategy or a goal that they want to achieve through a series of investment decisions. And then those investment decisions are converted into actions. The actions are tracked and monitored, and the feedback loop goes back into, you know again, what is the current state? What are the goals achieved or not? And if not, what can be done to address that? So the entire industry really works around this. Now, as part of these decisions, you really are either trying to move capital around. And so that shows up as payments and payments technologies, or you are trying to select or make investment decisions and then carry them out, which is the buying and selling of securities. And so fundamentally, the whole industry is about making better decisions. And if you can leverage information, that someone else might not have and use that in your investment decision, potentially you have an edge because you, know, you are tapping a signal that is otherwise not available to someone else, which means that you have an advantage. And if you use that to make the best decision possible, you potentially will have a higher return than someone else who does not have that information. And that's how investment managers work. It really comes down to finding the signals that exist that other people might not be looking at or other institutions might not be looking at using them to predict what will happen as a result of including that information in the decision, and then making the decision, assuming that you have better information. And so it comes down to using, you know, there's a lot of potential for AI to collect all this information around us that's in, you know, it's in the news media, it could be in, you know, call reports, financial calls, it could be in, you know, votes published by the SEC. There's just information all around, and the question is who can best collect aggregate and analyze that information as fast as possible to come up with that competitive advantage. And that's really where AI Mm -hmm. fundamentally can change how the financial services industry works. And then you can think about all the other operational aspects of moving money around or moving securities around or doing so with high quality. All of these sub-problems that exist in the industry can also be made better by ensuring that the required transaction can be processed and completed with the highest quality, which means you can predict failures when a transaction might not go through. You can predict, for example, regulations and compliance that's required in the financial service industry. Uh like KYC or AML, uh, you can use machine learning techniques to determine whether there are patterns that should increase the suspicion associated with a certain transaction or a certain entity. So there's an application of categorizing, classifying, and predicting things across the board in that whole investment lifecycle that I was describing. But really, I think the main, what people have been doing, investment managers, investment advisors, for a very long time is using information to come up with an investment strategy for, for, on behalf of a client. And that whole process can be automated. So you could potentially have a world where you don't need investment managers as an intermediary, or you could have investment managers who are able to tap these signals and actually provide better service to their clients, regardless of which side. I mean, you know, there are new... Entrants in the market that are fully automating the process, but again, that's at the you know the cost of not having personalized service. Or on the other hand, there are institutions that are you know getting better at providing better advice through the application of AI. Okay, so piggybacking
0: off that, you know, I'd like to ask you what some of the challenges that you've seen in adopting AI, specifically in fintech, whether that's a cultural challenge or if it's
2: technology
0: itself. If you could go on about that.
2: Sure. Yeah, it's, it's actually, you know, it's both and a couple of other things. But it is, you know, the good thing about this whole uh, increase in AI, the resurgence and the availability of uh, well the hype associated with AI, the good thing is that the way you know the industry is shaping it's a very open industry meaning that all the research institutions involved or you know, the big tech companies involved that are that are extending or the reach of the research they're putting everything out you know they're publishing everything they're putting data sets out they're putting models out they're providing the code itself and so the good thing is that in terms of, you know, one of the key things to innovate is the technology, the expertise that knows how to use the technology, and then a culture in the environment that enables that adoption and use. So why in terms of technology, it's, we have more than enough, we have multiple versions of similar technology provided by different institutions. So that part is great. So what really comes, the challenge really come down to is, do you have the expertise in-house that not only understands this and the fact that it's changing at a really rapid pace, so it's somebody who, can, who has the aptitude to keep up With that change but also they have the understanding to leverage this stuff by applying it to the business problem at hand and so Uh the first challenge comes up is you know you can find you know if you have enough brand recognition or if you have enough money you can attract the right talent right depending on or you have enough meaty problems to solve you will between those three things you will you will find the people you need you'll have to compete for the really good talent out there but you can find it the problem really comes you know so that's a solvable problem the, the bigger problem is connecting the technologists with the business domain experts and then transferring the domain problems to into the technology realm so that the data scientists uh, that's involved in that project can actually understand what is being done what is being asked off of them to solve and they can convert the business problem into a technology problem and then then act on it and mm-hmm. as part of that they are able to convert or they' will, they're able to understand the signals that are relevant in that space and actually use the signals to you know convert the signals into some sort of an algorithm that can find the patterns that predict something uh-huh. or that can classify something so that's one challenge is connecting the domain knowledge with the technology. The other challenge is really the culture right so this is a sort of a chicken and egg problem so everyone understands and knows that you know you should be investing in AI. Oh, yeah to varying degrees a lot of uh, c suite you know they don't understand what ai is but they understand that it has the potential of changing a lot of things and that you know that that size is increasing the problem is that actually adopting ai means changing the price from inside out every decision that can be made could potentially be made with the appropriate ai you know that has been built for that decision so the question is, can we identify these decisions, and can you actually convert that into, you know, build a build an AI model that can help with that decision making? Now the chicken neck problem is that you have to start somewhere, and one thing that I've seen across many companies is you start try and start small, but in your attempt to start small, you try to start with a really an inconsequential problem. Something that doesn't really have the impact, even if it was solved to perfection, it would not have the impact that you could claim success or value from a technology investment, the ROI. So when you confuse starting small with starting with an inconsequential problem, you end up with not enough value to get the second round of investment or the broader application of that technology across the enterprise. And so a lot of enterprises can struggle at that level where, you know, the answer really is to start small, but start in a problem that is core to the business. Because without that, not only can you not show results, but you cannot get the investment required to continuously improve uh, over time. And then the third... Right. Yeah, that's a
0: really interesting point that you brought
2: up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know that often happens again and again. Where starting small is considered, you know, it's it's just an example of hey, it's confused with starting with something that can be, you know, can happen in the corner of an enterprise without really changing things or changing status quo. And that, you know, it hurts because if you're not one of the challenges is if you're not building that expertise with the AI with the long term in mind. So you're not building that as a core competency. Eventually, you will be either. You'll be forced to have someone else from outside. So you have to outsource that competency, which means you are not really controlling you know, your destiny as an enterprise, or you basically get left behind and somebody else leverages this AI. I think the key point really is that every decision that someone makes, the only reason why there should not be AI involved in every decision that's made in an enterprise is that it's going to take time to build the custom models for every decision if there's any other reason involved which is that you know we have decided to not focus on this area of the problem because it's too cold to our business so we don't want to change it or somebody or the cultural problem where someone says uh, no, no no that that's going to change what my team looks like or what my annual goals look like and that's why i don't want to touch this or what that's why i don't want to use ai there these are these uh-huh. uh, issues that can hurt in the long run because The reason why AI is going to be so big is not because it's new or it's different. There's always been decisions that have an information advantage are always better. And we just have had, you know, traditionally enterprises have collected information in different ways. And that's why, you know, you have enterprises go out and consult experts, consulting companies. And that's why enterprises subscribe to market reports and publications and whatnot, because it's all about information, information that can drive better decisions. AI is simply a piece of technology that has the ability to process a lot more information, more than a set of people could do, and do it in a faster, better way with a higher quality, uh, As you, you know, depending on the model and, and how you make it. So it's not new in that it's really a better way of processing information and using that in decision making. And that has been part of decision making in enterprises across humanity always. So that's why this is so fundamental, because it's just a better way of making decisions. And that's why it has to be a core competency.
0: uh, Yeah, and I wanted to just jump in here really quick. Because you had said, you know, you have to start small, but don't start with something that's inconsequential. And Ron and I had brought this up in one of our podcasts about AI winters and that, you know, one reason that AI winters happened was that people over and then under-delivered on the technology. And I think that when people start with something that's inconsequential, it underdelivers on, you know, what their expectations are. So, you know, enterprise and businesses really need to make sure that they're focusing on the right problems that they're solving. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And one of the areas that you mentioned actually earlier when you were talking about some of the problem areas that are unique to AI is you talked a little bit about some things that that is somewhat unique about, you know, fintech. You know, other industries have as well, but fraud is such a core part of the business because we're just moving bits around. And those, you know, those bits represent actual money and assets and, you know, people's livelihood and business and personal and wealth. So in that area, especially, it's a unique area where you can apply AI to a very specific problem and look at fraud patterns and suspicious patterns. What have you been seeing, you know, done there in particular, you know, with AI to be able to smell fishy transactions or to look at things that just don't seem like the kind of thing that a normal person would do as part of their normal personal or business transactions.
2: Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I spent a lot of time at my Microsoft part of my career in detecting malicious usage of uh, online properties that Microsoft had and basically attacking or taking over identities and spoofing to be someone else and then trying to use these services. So there are a lot of paths I mean, it's, it's the same area. It's just a different, you know, domain. And the one thing that works really well, especially in the area of fraud. And I think that's really the pattern. And you have different flavors of this strategy. But what every machine learning or AI model will try and do is try and classify the transaction or the entity behind the transaction into three groups, positively bad, positively good, and then something mixed, the mixed bag. And The way you can do that is by having a lot of descriptive information about the entity or, you know, from internal sources from external sources, you can also establish patterns of their behavior. So, you know, if a client transacts every day at a certain time, and then suddenly you see a transaction coming in at a different time, which doesn't fit their pattern, that's suspicious. It's not a guarantee of fraud, but it's suspicious. So it's really about, and especially in the short term the way AI and fintechs that are focusing on fraud can succeed is not by saying we will maximize the sizes of the known good and the known bad, but it's about reducing the size of the suspicious bucket because the human that's involved in deciding whether something is fraud or not, what we want to do initially is make them more likely to make a better decision. And the way you make them more likely be to make a better decision is by number one, ranking, stack ranking the potential fraud by severity. So, you know, if you have a team of 10 people, analysts looking at fraud, and you have 100 pieces of fraud, if they had to randomly look at 100 transactions, you're not really optimizing what you could get out of uh, you know, those 10 uh-huh. people. What you want to do is stack rank the 100 by likelihood of fraud and have your analysts focus on the most important or the most severe or the most you know, high value transactions that have been flagged as likely fraud to verify that. You're not only, what you're really doing is you're maximizing the throughput and the quality of work. That team of people can do. Now, in the long run, you could say that you don't need 10 people, and maybe you only need five. But then you can only get there when you have the human in the mo- in the loop relabeling your data because the, mm-hmm. the quality of the model will say, you know, these 100 were suspicious. Out of that, maybe, you know, let's assume an even split. 50% were verified to be bad and 50% was verified to be good. Now, this is amazing information for the model because now you can feed that back into the system and you have better training data to produce a better model. And one thing that's true for fraud in financial services is the volume as a fraction of total number of transactions, the number of known fraud cases is actually very, very small. So typical machine learning techniques, supervised learning techniques don't really work well. And so what you have is either you can use, so most companies are looking at using unsupervised learning and so clustering or anomaly detection as a way of, you know, because you are limited by a smaller set of training data. And the way to solve that problem in the short term is to have the human in the loop and just make them more productive. And then they will generate that data that for you that's going to make your supervised learning techniques that are more you know advanced and more enterprise ready are uh, to be leveraged to build that model and eventually you know we'll see how things progress but i think it'll always be a combination of you know for the most important most severe cases that are mixed you still want to have a human in the loop because you get the benefit of learning from that and then feeding that back into a into your ai okay So what
0: are some of the gaps in current AI capabilities that would lead to broader AI adaption in the fintech space?
2: I think the biggest one in the financial services industry that a lot of fintechs are Uh, struggling with enterprises that use and want to use fintech providers who are using AI is really the inability for a lot of these things, a lot of these techniques to explain why something was, why a decision was made. Why did the system predict something or classify something else? So that's one, that's a really big problem. And because of that lack of accountability, and I'm, you know, I'm doing air quotes (laughs) my Uh, but because of the lack of, because typically what happens is if you have a human involved, the accountability is at the human level, right? So someone can go to that human employee and say, why did you make that decision? And you will get an answer from that system. Correctly. But mm-hmm. what the, the problem is with AI and ML, you don't get an answer. You just don't, you know, regardless of how many different ways you can ask, it'll probably give you the, if the model hasn't changed, you could run that transaction again and it'll give you the same answer, but it won't explain why it came up with that answer. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem for enterprises who are used to having for many reasons, including quality of service, compliance, regulations, you need to know, have a reason for doing certain things. So when you introduce something that cannot provide that, you have that break in that accountability chain. And that is a big gap. And then there's a lot of effort going in trying to explain why AI behaves the way it behaves. But that area of work is still you know fairly new and there are really no good answers there yet.
1: yeah So, uh, so that's interesting. So, I mean, this is actually one of those areas that may be part of the future direction for AI, especially deep learning as people are trying, to, you know, make increasing use of this system. People need to understand more about how these decisions are being made. So I have a feeling that what you're saying is true for many applications of deep learning altogether. I mean, it's easy to tell about image recognition and voice recognition and things like that, because we could say, oh, yeah, I could see that you got that image right or that, you know, you, you recognize right. the sentence. Right. But, but, it, <laughs> but when you have complicated situations of fraud, I be like, oh, you know, you tag this as fraud and I'm not quite sure how you figured that out. And they yeah. may be right. They may be wrong. Right. So.
2: Exactly. And, and you know, with with image recognition or voice tagging or translation, the, you really, the gap still exists. It's the human mind that's completing, that's covering the gap, right? Because you're looking at the image and you're like, oh, I can tell why the system said it could be this, because it's because of this area and this area, and I know where it could have gotten confused and all that. But it's really the human brain that's covering up that gap. But oh. in other places where the human mind cannot, like, you know, where you have tons and tons of data that had to be process to come up with a model and then you know different parts of the different layers or different nodes of the neural net you know got lit up The, the human mind can't address that gap and that's why there's that lack of accountability and yeah that has to be addressed otherwise what will happen is you know these capabilities will either be you know second in class second-class citizens to typical business rules. So you will always have that layer of forced accountability through these. So if the AI says something, but the business rule says something else, the business rule wins. And so you basically are reducing the impact that the AI can have, or you will uh, end up with uh, AI being used in the inconsequential problem.
1: Well, this might be a good sort of wrap-up question. Then, so as a last note, you know, what do you believe is the future of AI in general, and the application of fintech and beyond, and maybe some of the unique opportunities for fintech companies uh, to adopt AI, and perhaps in ways that aren't being done now.
2: So, yeah, I think the 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 future really is going back to my earlier point. Is this is just a better way of making decisions. Through information, and information's always been, you know, I keep going back to the movie, uh, you know, the James Bond movie, Goldeneye. I think it was the one where, you know, the villain takes over the the plans, to take over the world, includes is basically based on just having information, con- controlling information. Right. So I think it really it, that, that really is the, the reason why you know, I feel every decision needs to be supplemented. And it's always been, you know, most decisions are supplemented with descriptive analytics. And all we're saying is now oh, you can extend that and have predictions and prescriptions and whatnot. But really, I think where we're going is we will have two kinds of AI, I feel. One will be AI that will help making decisions. And the second kind of AI that will help you correct mistakes that your actions might have uh, caused. So by being able to predict the impact of the AI. And I think that's, again, an area that's not uh, well addressed in terms of, you know, thought being applied, which is... What is the impact of, so when AI changes the real world, do we understand its impact beyond the immediate surrounding? So that, you know, for example, the, let's say the Microsoft chatbot that, that went rogue, and because people trained it over 24 hours, just 24 hours to just you know, start being abusive. That's an example of, you know, if there is a real world impact in the constrained AI environment, that bot was turned off, I'm sure the teams behind it went and figured out how to maybe prevent it in the future. But, you know, there's a longer term impact of that event because now every time we talk about AI, we bring a bad example or, or examples like that where it went rogue. So there is an impact in the real world of any AI which is beyond the immediate environment. Right? So now we are saying, OK, AI might not be as trustworthy because in the real world, it can be trained by just feeding it bad data or biased data. You can make it change its behavior than what it was intended to be when it was being trained in the lab. So there are, there are these real world implications of these decisions being made through AI. And when you have, you know, assume a a complex network chain with multiple AI models helping decisions, we just don't know how these things would interact with each other and how they impact each other or they are impacted by each other by connections that are second, third, and fourth degree away. And that's just the whole area of what we need to just understand, because what you can have is, you know, and maybe that's what Elon Musk means by AI going crazy or dangerous is, you know, could you have AI that understands, has the ability to understand these patterns and how it interacts with other AI models out there? And could someone change its behavior? Could the AI change its behavior to impact the change in behavior to someone else? So, you basically have this adversarial thing going on between different AIs deployed in different systems. So, you, you know, and, and when you oh. think of applying the enterprise layer on top, it becomes quite scary very, very quickly. Not right. because it's going to cause the end of humanity, but because it's going to cause the end of enterprises if it's not controllable. Uh, because, you know, you lose trust, the customers move away, mindset goes out. And then, so, all of these things can happen. And that's really where I think, uh, uh, in terms of the future, we, we really have to understand when we put something out in the real world. Uh, we need to build the techniques and the technology to understand its impact, and I don't think we're there.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. So it's not just using AI, but also controls in place to understand what happens if the decisions are impacting the business in a detrimental way, basically.
2: Right. Or, or just, un, I, I call it the unexpected. Or unnoticed, please. Yeah, and unintended just,
0: consequences, just like right. you said, with, yeah, you know, I don't think that they thought that bot ended up becoming racist and said pretty bad things. And I don't think that yep. they thought that within 24 hours, it was going to do that.
2: That's, yeah, yeah, that's the scary part that, you know, it was so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about a child, you say they, the brain is like a sponge. That's exactly what happened. I mean, that's- they must have worked on that bot for at least six months, I'm guessing, for it to come oh, out, sure. you know, in the real world. And it took twenty four hours to change its entire personality. And that's
1: yeah, the <laughs> Well uh, the funny thing is like, you know, I think the bots need to understand the concept of trolling, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. trolling trolling is a kind of behavior. It's a mischievous behavior. It's like, oh, you're trolling me. Okay. I'm not gonna listen to you anymore. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> that, you
2: know that's uh-huh. That's where biases come in, where now you have to start putting in some controls on what kind of data goes into training. Uh, but then that decision itself can have a bias of the person that's making the decision. So if, yeah, that's if, exactly that's what I was
0: going to say, where we have biased training data. And if you have biased training data, then by default, your product is going to be biased.
2: Right. And if you put someone in place like, at, you know, Facebook, the reaction to the election meddling is to hire a thousand people that will look at all the news feeds and ads that are being yeah. put into the system. The problem is that the people making a decision have their own biases, And that's so right. the boundary won't be black and white. It's going to be, you know, what you think as an individual that's been hired to do this job and maybe going through some amount of training. But it's ultimately, it's your decision. Do you think it's over the line or not? And that line will be different for different people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you just introduce, even removing bias will introduce some other bias.
1: Exactly. This is interesting. This has actually been a conversation we've been having with a colleague. You know, one of the things he's like, oh, man, I really wish there was a bot that would create news that was unbiased. Because the problem with news is that news is biased. I'm like, well, that's a great idea. But then how are you going to, what exactly are you going to be training that <laughs> that system with? Because right. sort of the nature of deciding what's important enough to be reported as news and how you report it that's all based on entirely on bias, right? So it's a a challenge. It's a challenge.
0: All right, Kumar. Well, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. We had a great time.
2: Same here. This was was a great conversation. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we really enjoyed conversing with you. It sounds like you have a great future ahead, and I know that you've been spending a lot of time here at AI, so we're going to definitely keep track of, of all the great things you're working on.
2: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we'll follow you and and maybe we'll reach out again, you know, further down the road to have a follow up conversation.
2: Absolutely. That would be great. And if I, you know, if I come across any progress in these problems that, that worry me, I'll definitely reach out and maybe we can have a chat about that.
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.
1: Yep. Make sure to listen to our uh, show notes that are going to be coming up. We'll list some of the things that we talked about here in this podcast and link to some interesting articles. I know Kumar is a very frequent contributor online and to a bunch of different periodicals, so we may include a couple of his writings as well in our show notes for you all to read. So on that, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and catch you at the next one.
0: And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes.
1: Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor.